The problem with the keynote is, is that it gets people all amped up and they know what to do, but they get stuck at the level of implementation mm. because now there's no hand-holding. And in, if you think about it in many ways, just delivering a keynote only, whilst it has its place, in itself is also quite... Um, it's quite disempowering because you get people all amped up and then they don't know how what to do next. And so they then go back to their problem and stick with it. Because yeah. all problems exist because of inaction, mm -hmm. the wrong action, or reaction. Mm -hmm. Your job as the presenter, your job as the influencer, is to get them to take the right action. The right action always solves the problem. A problem exists and stays because of inaction, reaction, yeah, sure. or the wrong action. Your goal is to get them to take the right actions. But often those right actions, you can tell them what to do, but they still get confused at the coalface. They get confused at the moment. Like, you can teach people how to do a, 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 podcast, a podcast, for example, yeah. right? Yes. You can explain it all to them in an hour. Yeah. But then the moment they then go, what did he say again? And <laughs> which button do I press? And how Why do I find friends? the guests? <laughs> and what's the interview style? You see, you need, you're going to need someone to support you with that. Yeah. So all the sales speaker is doing is a keynote, but with something after it that helps them implement the message of that keynote. Welcome to the Drive to Succeed podcast. My name is Daniel, the host of this show. If it's your first time tuning in today, thank you so much. I really appreciate you because I know there's a ton of other podcasts out there, but you decided to be here instead. How would you feel if you can share your knowledge, experience, and know-how by speaking in stages in an arena full of people, making an impact and influence traveling the world, and making a business out of it. In this episode, I spent an hour with an authority figure in the public speaking arena where he speaks alongside Sir Richard Branson, Bill Clinton, Tony Robbins, and many more. He's also a Sunday Times best-selling author of the book, Passion to Profit. If you don't know yet who my guest is, he is no other than Andy Harrington, the founder of Jet Set Speaker and the brainchild behind the stress-free speaker system. In this episode, you will discover why it's important to formulate your message the right way and learn how you can design, develop, and deliver a presentation that will help you get noticed and make you more money. Discovers Andy's secret framework, how he uses the three C's to fill up a room of attendees who are in thirst to hear your message. And lastly, get to know Andy Harrington personally, why his family has always been his top priority, and discover his sole motivation for continuing to innovate and elevate the level of energy he produces in all of his events. So before I spoil everything, let's welcome the one and only Andy Harrington. Welcome back to the Drive to Succeed podcast. We have Andy Harrington on the show. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So I believe it's the first time I met you was a year ago uh, in Arjun Hotel. And I don't know really what I'm getting myself into, but all I know is I need to know your art and your secret. So for our first time, who's still listeners who still doesn't know you, who is Andy Harrington? 
Well, I suppose I, I, today I focus on three things to help people. Um, that is helping people to formulate their message mm-hmm. because today, as someone who wants to succeed or get into business or to expand their business, you need to have a message that really describes what you do mm-hmm. and who you do it for and why you do it as well, primarily. So that's message. I also do mindset as well, so helping people to stay at the top of their game. And also marketing. So how do you then market that message to a wider group of people so more and more people get to know who you are mm-hmm. um, so that you can serve a wider group or community of people? Understood. And I'm really curious about um, your first presentation. I know you're, you're presented to a lot of stages. What does your first presentation look like? Well, interestingly, the, the first ever presentation I did was when I worked for an insurance company. Mm-hmm. And... At the time, that insurance company was recruiting a lot of new people. And the sales training was taken by a lady called Karuna Sood, which was an Indian lady, very elegant, sort of black, soft hair, bright red lipstick, very colourful, Indian sari, gold jewellery, very distinctive perfume, as I remember. Mm-hmm. And whilst chatting to her one time in her office... It was very clear to me she was very busy. So I said, look, you must be super busy with new recruits. Why don't you give me a try uh, at you know, doing a session or two, mm-hmm. you know, if I just use your notes? She said, no, thank you very much. Didn't think anything on it. And then a few <laughs> months later, um, she, she presses the button on my phone while I'm on the calls, mm-hmm. which means I won't now take the next incoming call. And she says... Andy, do you remember you wanted to train the new recruits? Do you still want to do that? I said, yeah, sure enough. She said, okay, very good. You're on in five minutes. Hmm. So that's how I started. Uh, I had a flip chart, flip chart, pen, seven people, and an hour to fill, and no content. So I kind of got thrown in the deep end at the very beginning. And, And actually, what's interesting about that is that when you don't have any pre prepared content, Mm-hmm. whilst it might be uncomfortable, you have to go unconscious with it because mm. you have no pre-prepared content. Yeah. And whilst I don't advocate you know, just shooting from the hip and not having a structure, structure, your structure must not be structured at the level of words. Because if you write the whole thing out on paper, then your brain's going to try to remember what you wrote down word for word, mm. which is... Firstly, an impossible task to do without the actual script in front of you, which you won't have most of the time anyway. So what you want to do is structure your ideas in such a way that there is a method to what you're doing moment by moment, but it's chunked in sequences. Mm -hmm. So the human mind works in chunks. So your phone number, for example, is encoded in your head in a sequence, in a batch of numbers. So... Mm -hmm even though most phone numbers will have 10 or more digits in them, most people would not remember them as 10 single digits. Mm -hmm. They'll probably remember it as three blocks or batches of digits. Mm -hmm. And you know that's true because you've probably given your phone number to somebody one time, they read it back to you to check it was your number, but for their own reason, changed the chunking sequence of your phone number and then asked you to say, is that your number? And you'd be like, I don't know. You've, (laughs) You've completely screwed up my number. So... What I teach people to do is, is the chunks. Mm-hmm. So what do you do in chunk one, which might go for five minutes? Mm-hmm. What is chunk two that might go for 10 minutes? 
what are those chunks? And inside those chunks, there's mini chunks. I understand. And that's what you've got to do. Because if you don't do it that way, and you try to chunk the whole thing by, you know, an hour's speech by words, yeah. you're going to fail. I don't understand. And I think this is also what you teach in your academy. Sure, sure, yeah. Of many things. In our academy, we teach people that primarily want to reach out to others uh -huh. in, the, in the intent to hopefully help that person to transform their lives, their business, their body, their relationships, or, or some area of business or money, whatever it is, in some way. We teach them how to formulate that message, how to design, how to develop, and how to deliver that message. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But also in a way that invites people to want to follow that person, subscribe, and or do business with them, yeah. I don't understand. And also, during your first presentation, as far as I can remember, there's one interesting thing that happened during that time. You're, um, I think there was like some written thing on your forehead. Um, as a presenter yourself, like looking back right now, how do you usually, you know, um, get back to yourself when you, you made a major slump or when you're running your presentation, you suddenly feel like, oh, this is shit, I forgot my content and, you know. Yeah, so the most important thing um, is when you're presenting is not to overthink it. You will never signal to the audience that you've missed something unless you signal it to them uh -huh. by either saying, oh, I forgot something or looking in a way that suggests that. So instead of that, here's what you always want to do. Whenever you, and it's, it's rare, it probably never happens now for me where I kind of lose my way, But if you ever do, you, what's good to do is to have some emergency content prepared. Mm. So what that means is you want to build two or three generic stories. That means if you ever lose your way, you can just navigate into one of those sort of generic stories that fills the hole that you have for some reason forgotten. Normally, while you're telling that generic content, here's what will happen you'll get feeling confident again. Mm. So you'll find your flow again. Does that make sense? Yes, and normally, yes. your mind will remember where you were meant to be. And so you, you would just allow that sort of stopgap, emergency bit of content, which might be a little story that goes for three or four minutes. And the point about that story is it can go anywhere because you can, it's like, a, it's a one-size-fits-all circumstance-type story. And you might start that story with something like, well, think of it this way. Here's an interesting story. And then you just go into that story, you see. Mm -hmm. And no one then knows that that's your emergency bit of content, if you like. So that's a, a good strategy. So you have at least like three to four content, generic content that puts you back on flow. Yeah, exactly. And it's content that you wouldn't normally use in that presentation. Mm. Um, so it's not like you're going to bring something in earlier that you were going to do later. Mm -hmm. It's just a bit of content that isn't normally there, but it's like a a bit of content you go to if, if you ever get stuck or get lost. I do understand. And um, the one way, you do, one way you do it is you ask yourself questions that triggers answers, is it? Um, but can you, can you walk us through when you were still you know, starting presenting? Do you have your mentors or does someone teach you? Because like myself, when I attended your event, it was like I was blown away. I got to learn this. Um, of course, we, we everyone, each one of us has our own mentors or some person that made a catalyst that changed us? Uh, is there some, you know, person that teach you this? And... Hmm. So from a distance, I would study great speakers. Mm -hmm. Because the only way to be a great speaker is to study great speakers yeah. and to try to emulate. Look for 
the commonalities, look for the formulas, look for the patterns that they're using, whether that's how they, the, the methodology of how they organize their content, their delivery in terms of eye contact, movement, gestures, things of that nature, voice qualities. Mm-hmm. So you always want to model those things um, from a distance. You can do that because you know, today, content world we live in, you can find those videos. It's easy to find and see. Yes. And then just incorporate, start to incorporate that into what you do. Myself, back in 2002 when I started doing this, there weren't that many people certainly not in my country from the UK, that were doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, most events that were being run at that time were primarily, there was one property event that was being run that was mm-hmm. teaching people property strategies and mm-hmm. one that was teaching investment strategies. That was it. There was no, nobody in the UK was teaching personal development other than people like Tony Robbins and a few small people, but nothing on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of hard for me to to copy someone mm-hmm. or to model or mentor with somebody because they weren't really available. So mm-hmm. um, I, I chose to model people from afar by watching them on video. And who are those models? Uh, Jim Rohn maybe or? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins, um, Brian Tracy. Mm-hmm. These were key. These were the three big ones for me back in, back in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, you know, I'm paying attention to learning more people. Gary Vaynerchuk, mm, for sure. Um, Lisa Nichols is very good. So today, take in a piece of everyone, but you always need to be constantly developing because your talks and your performance should evolve over time because your audiences do. Mm. Your audiences evolve over time because people expect and want more. That's what happens in life. Yeah. So you have to add more value. If you Today, if you added the value that you used to add just a few years ago, um, it probably wouldn't be enough for people um, because there are others out there who will be delivering more. Yeah. Um, I always like to say information for free, implementation for fee. So what that means is happily share lots and lots and lots of information. So many people, I think, are afraid to share a lot of information in the fear that, oh, you know, I'm giving too much away. Yeah. That is a mistake fundamentally for a few reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one is it's information in of and by itself is rarely enough for most people to succeed. They need implementation, which is the assistance during the implementation phase. So, for example, driving a car, something most of your listeners can do. Yeah. You can watch somebody else do it. You can sit beside somebody who's doing it, but it's not the same as doing it. The only way mm. to drive a car is to so, be at the wheel <laughs> and have someone next to you who is giving you feedback during the implementation. So that's what most people need. That in itself is a service, isn't it? You yeah. think about you know driving a tractor, providing a service. Yeah. So most businesses listening into this or people wanting to have a business will be selling a service. Mm-hmm. A service has to be delivered by somebody in the moment, right? Either with yes. the client yeah. or for the client. So either you deliver something for them or you deliver something with them. Most of the time, it'll be with them. Mm-hmm. That is the piece where you can make money because you charge them a decent amount of money mm-hmm. for providing that service. Understood. But yeah. what you need to do is put information before that mm-hmm. in a presentation format such that they want to buy that service, believe in that service, and understand that service will bridge the gap 
that they want to fill. I do understand. And initially, I thought um, there's no difference between public speaker and profit speaker. So I think the, uh, the, the, the thing that you do is more about um, profit speaking, where you actually sell um, the service at the end, which is like a whole pitch from the beginning. Is, uh, is, is that correct? Well, I teach both. Mm -hmm. But in essence, re even if you're selling, you're doing a keynote presentation, mm -hmm. you're still selling something. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, there may not be an offer and a specific um, type of um, action you want to take at the end, but you still got to sell people on that message. So the influencing skills mm -hmm. and the organization of that content in such a way that it begins to transform the beliefs mm -hmm. and the thinking of the people sitting down mm -hmm. is still fundamentally important because most people will need your message because they're stuck mm. in some way, yeah. in their lives, in their business, in their relationships, in their body, whatever area of expertise you're talking about. So they'll be stuck in some way. Your message, in essence, is designed to make them unstuck. Mm. Unstuck that they go, okay, I'm outside my normal routine now because... Every speaker, whomever they are, keynote or sales speaker, needs to change how the audience feels and get them into a state where they feel connected in a state of flow. Mm. Because when they are, they become possibility focused and they start to believe again that they can do something about their situation. Now, in a keynote presentation, you're sharing stories, a few ideas. The bit that's missing at the end of the keynote is the help to implement the information. Mm. The call all to you're action. doing well you could have the call to the action at the end to go ahead and do this but because the keynote's typically been an hour it's not detailed it's very big picture it's mm. very vague it's very general right you've yes. told them how to climb Mount Everest in three steps well it's probably not there's probably a few <laughs> more steps required yeah so in essence you, you know when you're then selling a service afterwards mm -hmm. whether that service is delivered by you mm -hmm. by your team whether it's delivered as a one-to-one -one or one-to-many, whether it's delivered as additional advanced training to get them to do it, or whether it's actually delivering that service and helping them to achieve what they want to achieve, however that is, wherever that service delivered, we use the presentation prior to then sell them into that. Yeah. The problem with the keynote is, is that it gets people all amped up and they know what to do, but they get stuck at the level of implementation mm. because now there's no hand-holding. And in, if you think about it in many ways, just delivering a keynote only, whilst it has its place, in itself is also quite, um, it's quite disempowering because you get people all amped up and then they don't know how, what to do next. And so they then go back to their problem and stick with it. Because yeah. all problems exist because of inaction, mm -hmm. the wrong action or reaction. Mm -hmm. Your job as the presenter, your job as the influencer is to get them to take the right action. The right action always solves the problem. A problem exists and stays because of inaction, reaction, reaction. or the wrong action. Your goal is to get them to take the right actions. But often those right actions, you can tell them what to do, but they still get confused at the coal face. They get confused at the moment. Like, you can teach people how to do a, 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 podcast, a podcast, for example, yeah. right? Yes. You can explain it all to them in an hour. Yeah. But then the moment they then go, what did he say again? And <laughs> which button do I press? And how Body do I find the guests? 
And what's the interview style? You see, you need, you're going to need someone to support you with that. Yeah. So all the sales speaker is doing is a keynote, but with something after it that helps them implement the message of that keynote. That's I do and would you recommend that all keynote speakers, or probably some, um, have a, some sort of call to action that use the presentation as a lead generation? It depends on what that person is looking to achieve. Mm -hmm. If you have won a gold medal, if you have swum across the Arctic Circle, you know, or climb Mount Everest, whatever it might be, if you've done something crazy and amazing like that, then a keynote speech, you know, there's a place for that. Mm. Um, because you're just there to inspire mm. or you're a celebrity in some way so you draw the crowd to want to come to that event in the first place which helps obviously um, the promoter or, or organiser to sell tickets so there's a place for that as well obviously mm -hmm. so it just depends whether that's what you are or whether you want to go deeper and get a bit into the muck of helping people by having some kind of follow up service mm -hmm. thereafter that's where the magic happens. The magic looks like it happens in the keynote because everyone's applauding and getting excited. The magic really happens. The transformation really happens mm -hmm. in what happens the months after the keynote presentation when the person's now in the action of solving that problem. So just depends whether you want to get your hands that dirty and really help people um, because change is messy. Uh, it looks easy on the outside when you just inspire people and then walk out, you know, everyone's excited. Yeah. But then what happens is the emotional state that they're in mm -hmm. will die. Mm. It will drift. It will disappear. They, they essentially get out of the state of flow, yeah. go back to their problem and go back to their old ways of inaction, wrong action or reaction. That is why it's good to have something afterwards that they That's can a... buy into, invest into, mm -hmm. um, which means they're more likely to make the change Apply. and keep the change because they've created a new reality or a new experience or a new environment or a new result. Honestly, uh, thank you so much for that. Um, you mentioned about uh, transformation. Now I notice you look sharp, you look good. Um, can you tell us about, because interestingly, I think, I don't know where I saw it. I saw one photo of you with chiseled body, oiled and all that. Yeah. And initially when I approached James, I thought he was your personal trainer. So, okay. yes, yeah, so I was like curious uh, what happened to Andy. He's like, good body. Like, I don't, I don't even have that kind of, you know, transformation. So can, can you walk us through that and the reason behind it? Yeah, sure. So um, over four years ago, um, we were due to have a little boy, his name Aston James. Mm. Sadly, um, he didn't make it, so he was stillborn. He was. We found out the day before he was due to be born that he was, he was no, his heart was no longer beating. But I had decided several months previously that I would, because I'm 50 now, mm. and at the time I was 46, was to you know to to get my body in better shape because you know as a father mm -hmm. you know you need to have enough energy to take yeah. care of your family mm -hmm. and because I was always an entrepreneur as well for many years I need to have enough energy to look after other people so I start to need to look at my biochemistry mm. and what I'm feeding into this body and how much energy I've got and um, because I want to be around longer you know yeah. I really need to live for a hundred yes my wife's 17 years younger than me mm. so. <laughs> You know, if I'm 100, she's only going to be 80. 83. So, you know, and if I die at the average age of 83, 85 for a male, um, 
you know, then she's only going to be 68, mm-hmm. which is pretty young to be on your own. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to cheat the system here a little bit yeah. and biohack my way to being fitter, healthier, which is what I'm on the trip of doing. And even though my little boy died, um, you know, I decided, well, look, you know, he doesn't have a body to live in, but I do. Mm. So the best way I can honour him is to do what I originally set out to do. So that's what I did. And uh, so I've yeah, been looking around for different ways to, to improve my, uh, my circumstance, fitness-wise and health-wise. So I went on a bit of a journey to do that. That's what I've been doing for four years. I'm, for about two years, I was getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning. Wow. Like so space. I could, about, about quarter past four, to, wake, to, to be working out in the gym at five. Mm-hmm. Um, I've organized my life a little bit different now, so I can actually work, do my workout later. Mm-hmm. But that's the time I thought, you know, if I can commit to that, I have the time. So that's what I did. And yeah, slowly by slowly, you know, the body started to transform a bit. And I had this, just before my 50th birthday, which was not that long ago now, I, I thought I need, a, I need a, a real focused goal. So I thought I'd, uh, I'd book this like photo shoot, professional photo shoot, mm-hmm. like top off sort of things. So I thought like, well, if I do that, I haven't really got anywhere to hide, F high. So yeah. <laughs> I thought I'd better get myself organized. So that, and that, that led to that photograph that you probably saw. So, and you maybe you saw a before and after photograph, perhaps, because when I started out, you know, I wasn't bad shape, but it wasn't good shape. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's, I decided, and my, even my diet on the last few days was just crazy, you know, just to like make the body look really great. At the moment, I'm just in like, I'm trying to put weight on now because I'm trying to go up, which means actually it's, I'm eating more, more, more and more, um, just to try and get my body weight up. Um, but then I'll probably have some kind of lean cut again sometime soon in the new year, I suspect. Probably not before Christmas. That won't be a great, <laughs> wouldn't be good timing. Honestly. And you mentioned about energy, which I'm really curious about, um, because obviously you, you speak a lot on stages, travel around the world. As a professional speaker, how do you maintain your energy speaking and, you know, balancing that family time as well, your personal life and your professional life? Yeah. So a few things. Number one, as I mentioned, you know, when you're on stage, you need to be in flow. It's like you know, when you're playing a professional sport, you should be in flow. Right? Mm-hmm. You've got to be in that state, that zone of high yeah. performance. When you are, everything disappears. Mm. As you don't think about how tired you are, or how much energy you've got, you just keep on creating energy because it, you, you are, in essence, in that zone of high performance. So that's how it should be on stage. In terms of balance specifically, you know, balance is achieved by movement. Mm-hmm. which seems a bit, I suppose you could say that might be a little bit contrarian to what most people believe. Most people think balance is created by being still. Mm. That's not true. Think about a bike. If you're riding a bike and you're still, you ain't going to balance, <laughs> right? If you are, you're not going to balance very long. Yeah. So you need to be moving forward. So balance is achieved by forward movement. Mm-hmm. That's how you achieve balance. But it's achieved by micro-movements. Mm. So... Even though on a bike, it might look like you're balanced. Another example of this was years ago when I hurt my, uh, uh, my knees mm-hmm. playing sport. Um, to strengthen the muscles, they'd put, them, they'd put me on something like a wobble board, which essentially is like a, a foot square piece of wooden board with an uneven surface underneath. Mm-hmm. And then you have to stand on it and try oh, to balance. Yeah. But what's happening is it looks like at no point are you ever perfectly still. It's always constant never-ending movement a little bit left a little bit right a little bit left and that's what keeps balance that's like life 
what that means is you have to put little bits of energy into every department of your life, all those eight fundamental areas. Mm. Because if you don't, then one will get out of balance, which then means you suddenly have a deficit in the area. You have to put massive amount of balance in that area. Yeah. And that's tantamount to being a bike and going left massively, right Very massively, massively, or on the board and going left massively, right massively, which means you're going to fall off. So it's little bits of movement <coughs> all the time, constantly adding and taking care of little areas. So every mm -hmm. day, focus on those areas. Mm -hmm. So every day, focus on your body. First things first, physicality. Focus on what you're consuming inside. Mm -hmm. You know, have you got a ritual for consuming the right, you know, energy producing foods and nutrition? Mm -hmm. Are you taking care of nutrition? Because if you people talk about mindset, mindset's fantastic, but if your nutrition is poor, your mindset has to be doubly good. Yeah. Because you're struggling biochemically first. Mm. So take care of biochemistry first and then the mindset is easier. So mindset, biochemistry, these are the two most important things in the beginning. Then you've got to look at, okay, what am I doing to support family today? Who needs my love? Who needs me to be present today? Mm -hmm. Then look at the business side. Who needs, what do I need to do? What's my goals in business today? So constantly always have an awareness of those dynamics mm -hmm such that you don't forget one for too long and then have to make a counterbalance later on. Understood. Because there's a one book that I read, um, I don't know if you, you met uh, Randy Zuckerberg, I think she's based in the UK. Sure. Yep. So there's a book that she's written that you can have everything, but you can only select three per day, pick three per day, like family, work or sleep. So um, they have like some sort of checklist that you do every day, like this is that I need to do and so is there a question there for me? Yeah, just making a statement. Sorry. <laughs> so my so my so my question is: uh, Do you have like a checklist that you do um, per day? Like this is my priorities because obviously, as you mentioned, there are eight areas in your life. Yes. So obviously, you can't handle those in twenty four hours time. So do you have a checklist or like today I'll get just gonna focus on? I actually, this. don't agree with that. I fundamentally disagree with that. Hmm. Um, it, remember micro movements. Mm -hmm. So it might be true that you might not only spend two hours on your relationship today, but you can spend two minutes. Mm. That's a micro movement. As long as that's great two minutes, that might be two minutes of eye contact and presence. It might be 10 minutes of making love. <laughs> but it doesn't mean you can't, it might, maybe you're not with your wife husband this day, but it doesn't mean you can't make the phone call and be present on that phone call, mm. right? So what I'm saying is, yeah, big areas of focus, maybe three. But though that's three that get a lot of focus. But the other areas still need a little bit of focus. Even if you can only be quiet and connect to the spirituality for two minutes, maybe you're going to pray for five minutes. Mm -hmm. It's still a micro movement on that day. Otherwise, what can happen yeah. is you fall into those same three things you're focusing on today are the same three things tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And the next day, and they become a habit because you're actually avoiding solving some of those other issues in the other areas. Honestly, thank you. Actually, I used to believe that uh, mindset that you need to pick three, um, you cannot handle everything. But I think now micro movements, micro movements, even yeah. if it's just a small little bit of attention, even if you just give it thinking time for five minutes in one area, mm -hmm. even if you just think or meditate or focus on that just for five minutes. Thinking about, okay, my finance today. Focus on that for five minutes. Mm -hmm. Give it some attention. 
Right. Thank you. And you mentioned about mindset a lot. I think this is the first area where you teach at before you went into public speaking. That's true. Um, can you share us about a little bit more about that? I know uh, Tony Robbins is a big influencer in your life. Um, can you tell us more why transition from mindset uh, to you know public speaking or how do, how does this you know uh, combine both? Yeah. yeah, I think I was drawn to mindset originally, um, as I think a lot of people are, because it's an opening into this world of change. Mm-hmm. I think I was drawn to it anyway because I think that. If I'm honest with myself, at age 13, my parents split up and I think I became very lost for many years. Yeah. I think I was quite extroverted as a child. I think I became quite introverted as a teenager mm. because of the change that happened that was very sudden and unexpected. So I think I've been searching for a while um, and I think I found that religion, should we say, in, mm-hmm. in personal development. Mm-hmm. So I was drawn to that initially anyway. And then I went back to it when I was... Um, in a relationship because my partner needed help Uh, and you know we went to see Tony Robbins and he helped her and Mm. so you know as a result of that I thought well this is amazing you know why don't I do this you know this is what I feel drawn to you know when you're when you have a profound experience of something yeah um, most people want to share it you know if you watch a great movie you normally want to tell someone about that movie yeah and inspire them to go watch that movie so some of that gratitude rubs off on you because you're the one who recommended a good movie, right? Yes, yes. So I think that's the same that I felt. It's like I'd had the experience of this transformation and I became fascinated by it. I wanted to share it. I wanted to be part of that. I didn't want to be on the outside. I wanted to be on the inside. And so that's why I I started sharing that. And I still do today. It's still my first Mm -hmm. life. And and it's still built into everything I teach because it's it's a fundamental underlying foundational principle of everything is... If you don't organize your thinking in such a way that leads to good action, mm-hmm. then you're going to be in wrong action, wrong, uh, right, uh, wrong action, reaction, or no action. Right? Yeah. So everything I teach people to do today, whether it's public speaking or marketing, I'm always working on the mindset, mindset. at the same time. So people take action on the message at the same time. So I transitioned more into the area of, of building your message and marketing uh, probably in, much later in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, because, Ten years ago. Yeah, because the, the, the personal development, just teaching that alone, um, wasn't in itself enough for me anymore. And it wasn't also enough financially because... There's a lot what, of... Problems. Well, what you'd often find is a lot of people, people won't spend a lot of money mm-hmm. on a soft skill like personal development because it doesn't have an immediate, tangible, believable return on investment. Mm-hmm. And so because that was still a good entry into it, I didn't have something else to sell them of a higher value Mm. that would give them a more long-lasting, tangible, provable result that they would willingly invest in. So from a business perspective, it made made a lot of sense to add to my uh, mindset stuff something more tangible that would really give people something they could uh, see a, a massive tangible benefit from. Understood. Um, but public speaking, isn't it a soft skill as well? Or what are your thoughts about Well, it is if you don't add a financial, this is how I sell things on the back of it. So I don't teach people how to become speakers. Mm. I, teach, I teach business people how to speak. I see. Um, meaning that I'm not interested per se in helping people to just deliver content Uh that inspires people for the moment Uh 
my goal is to help people realize that they always have something that they can do to serve people. If you can turn that service into something that you can sell to people, then I'm your guy. Mm. If you just want to tell great stories, go to Toastmasters. <laughs> if you just want to t- you know, win, a, win a competition, go to Toastmasters. And that isn't diminishing Toastmasters. They do a fantastic job. They're a great organization. It's a good brand. But where they, where they finish up is where I take over. Right, so in that if you want to turn it into a professional where you can make money from speaking, then that, I'm your guy for that. Because I want to work with entrepreneurial people. People who want to add value, solve problems, change an industry, disrupt an industry, change the world in some ways. These are the people that I resonate with. Um, And so for me, Mm -hmm. um, those are the people that I tend to gravitate towards and they're the people I want to serve. So for me, I want to help people find the thing Mm -hmm. that they want to uh, sell that will help transform something in some people's lives or some people's business. Speaking for me is a medium by which they communicate mm-hmm. what they have and how they can help people. And uh, this thing that you, you teach, um, this PSU and PSA, mm. does, does this also transcribe, let's say, I'm an entrepreneur looking for a investor. Will this work in that scenario? or Meaning they're looking for an investor. To fund their business. Yeah, any well, any time you have to influence someone mm-hmm. to make a decision that requires financial investment or becoming a customer or a client of yours, mm-hmm. the process for that is very similar. Um, so in this case, you're selling the investment as opposed to selling a solution. Understood. Yeah. And I'm really curious about one thing. This is a little bit selfish question. I know it's really dif- difficult to fill a room of uh, people who will actually listen uh, to what your message is. So what are the marketing strategies that you do um, and also innovate to continue to do to make sure that when I enter a room, you know, there are, there are people who are going to be listening to my message? Three things. Content, commercials, conversion. So A, you've got to have content because there's no way A, someone's going to turn up to your event or even book on your event Mm -hmm. unless they have already visibility of you. Mm -hmm. Meaning that you've already touched them in some way, Mm -hmm. but not by just the written word. I'm talking video. Understood. Or even audio is good. They've got to have an experience of getting to know you. Today, content is that world. So what content gives people is the awareness that you exist. And that starts to build the value, build the trust, build the relationship. We go from that to commercials. Mm. So now we've built up a following. Now we've built up an a, a audience. The next thing we've got to do is ultimately use some form of commercial advertising to commercially advertise our event. And again, that's a skill. How do you put together an advert that authentically does the job of serving and selling? Because... If your advert looks like an advert, you're dead, <laughs> right? Because they're going to scroll right through. Understood. Right? So how do you structure an advert in such a way that it engages the audience initially and then ultimately directs them to want to take an action, which is to click to um, and pay for or go to your event? The third okay. step is the conversion. Now they're in the room. How do you ultimately... Well, firstly, now they've registered for the event, how do you get them to turn up? Yeah. Because you might have 100 people registered for your event. If it's free or very low paid, 
the show rate isn't 100%. Maybe 20%, 10%. Maybe. So now what you have to do is you've now got to continue with that awareness and content campaign mm. such that you are treating anyone who's registered as a lead, not as a sale. Honestly. Because they're just a lead at this point, right? Now what you've got to do is double down on our efforts to grow even more value mm. such that they go, my original decision to come to this event, I'm going to follow through, I'm going to come because look at this value, it's great. I want more of that. So you can't just get a registration and then you know send a couple of reminder emails and hope they'll turn up. They won't. You've mm. got to add more value, right? Always more value. Every step of the way, add value. Sorry. Add value in your content. Add value in your advert. Add value in your chase-up cycle. Honestly. Come to the event, add value. add value. They buy, they add value. It's add. always add value. Yeah. Which means that it's no longer looking like a sales process. Mm. It no longer looks like a marketing process because every step, step of the way, every touch adds value. How do you add value? Three ways. E for education, E for entertainment, E for emotions. Mm. So every piece of content must either and or educate, entertain, and move them emotionally. Do those three things, you'll fill your room. When they come, do those three things, they'll buy from you. Thank you. Um, so three things, emotion, education, and, uh, and well, what's the other one? Emotion, emotion. so entertainment, entertainment, education, and emotions. And emotion. And if you do all three in one go, your stuff goes viral. <laughs> well, this is an aha moment for me because um, I know people send a lot of emails, but there doesn't have a value on it. If every email is, you're ready for this event on this date at this time, yeah. looking forward to seeing you, that's a waste of time. You need to add value first and remind them. Mm -hmm. Don't just send reminders. Here's why. They're not forgetting. You're not sending emails out because they've forgotten. They know they are deciding not to come. Mm. They're not not turning up because they forgot. People aren't stupid. Yeah. Right? You didn't right. forget to come today. Right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> it's not they don't they forget to come. That's not the reason. It's because they choose not to. They change their mind. Something else became more important. Mm. So in which case you've got to keep on adding so much value in between in between the time they registered and the time they turn up that they still value coming to the event more than something else. Perfect. And I, I'm just really curious about one thing. I know we dive into a little bit about your personal life. Yes. Um, what does your childhood look like? You mentioned you were an extrovert uh, during your childhood. Mm. And when you go into teen, you were an introvert. Yes. So what is the change? That, you know, what is something that happened in between that? Well, in my, my early years, my father was my, no, my hero. Mm -hmm. um, and I say that because we played so much together in the garden, playing cricket, playing football, wrestling. The rough and tumble, all those things. Mm -hmm. And so it's a great life. My dad, um, he watched me playing football. I played football for the, for the school. I played football for the school district. I played football for the county. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he was always there on the sidelines watching. So, you know, a real actively supporting father. Mm -hmm. And then when my parents were up when I was 13, which was a, a, you know, a real bolt from the blue, it, 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 I, I kind of lost my father then. Not physically lost him, mentally lost Absolutely. him because... And now I, you know, I look back at it now and I understand it because, you know, having been through breakups myself, I understand he was trying to rebuild his life. And in doing so, you know, it meant his connection with me was different. Mm. Um, and because he didn't have as much time for me because he had to go and build a whole new relationship with somebody else. 
So I fully get that, but you don't at the time. You know, I felt you know lost, and so I became very introverted. I got to spend a lot of time by myself because you know my father would put, my my sister was older, so she might be out. You know with her friends or staying at a friend's house whereas my dad might be staying at his new girlfriend's house mm-hmm. I'm 14, 15 years old in the house on my own Yeah, and spending a lot of time on your own mm-hmm. makes you really reflect and think and you know your mind can go against you a lot right yeah, so exactly. that's what happens so I think that's where my my early um, hunger and thirst to understand mindset why people do what they do and relationships and also think you know spend a lot of time with myself developed over developed that part that introverted part of myself yeah which is not a mistake it's perfect exactly that that's enabled me to do what i do today mm-hmm. is having that ability to to think like other people think because i've been there yeah. you know i've been in those dark areas and i then in my 20s, because I was still lost, I was, you know, living in different houses. I yeah. left home at 15 and I was living with friends and then had my own places. You know, from an early age, I've had to take care of myself um, and lived in many different houses, different way. In my 20s, you know, I got, um, you know, it, it mixed in the wrong crowd, you know, I got into a drug scene and stuff, you know, in, in London. And, you know, the, all of that, it's all part of everything, you know, there's nothing wrong, no yeah, mistakes. Exactly. It's all just part of life and journey. Um and then, you know, the partner I was with at the time, that relationship that I built with her was based on rescue. Mm. So I, I, I came in to rescue her um, because I, I was avoiding rescuing myself. Because, um, you know, she needed me. And that's what I needed. I needed someone who needed me mm. because it gave me a purpose. Yeah. Because I, I became valuable again, you know, because somebody needed me. Um, but unfortunately, that you know, looking back at it now, I see that was maybe a bit codependent relationship. She yeah. needed me. You needed her. And I, you know, I needed to be her coach and supporter, and you know, she needed me to be that person for her. And it was it wasn't a relationship that I understand now mm-hmm. that was built on a, a, a relationship that's, that's true love. Mm-hmm. It's more built on a, a place of lack, and both of us trying to fill up each other's cup, if that made sense. Yes. Uh, and uh, and I think I understand today that love really is you can fill up your own cup. Mm. And the other person fills up their cup, and all you do is just gently make that other person's cup run over, <laughs> just by topping it up. Yeah. But if every day you have to fill that other person's cup up, because their cup's empty, yeah, that's hard work. Yeah. And relationships shouldn't be hard work. If they are hard work, and you're filling up somebody's cup every day, you're probably with the wrong person. That's the truth. Yeah. So that, that's a little bit of background, I suppose, on my my upbringing, and also what made me want to do this kind of work in the first place, and where I draw from when I'm communicating with people, when I think about those and look at their lives and think about the mistakes I've made, and hopefully can use some of my experience to help them not make more of their own. And I always believe in in marriage, both of you need to be your hundred percent, not fifty fifty. Sure. So to make it succeed. Um, yeah, I guess that means that the hundred percent is your cup. Yeah, right? you're taking care of everything for yourself. That doesn't mean every now and again your cup might be empty because yeah. of grief or some other loss. That's fine temporarily, but if every day you need the other person to give you something mm-hmm. for you to feel good, um, that means you're coming to relationship to get something, not to give something. Understood. And I'm really curious about one thing. What is your worst mistake? Do you- in what? In, in your career. In my career? Well, today, I would say, actually, the biggest mistake currently, if I'm looking back in the near past, mm-hmm. would be to have not developed more organic reach earlier. Mm-hmm. 
you know, right. not to have you know built a YouTube channel bigger, things like this. Because mm. I've been very good at focusing on the advert world, mm-hmm. doing ads to get people to my events and stuff, and made that work really well. But at the at the loss and detriment of not building organic in I the see. background. So if I could rewind uh, five, ten years, I'd be focusing organic as well as using advertising. Adding value and then creating con- organic content. And Look, I've always had value. My ads add value, my events add value, but more building like a bigger following. I understand. Do you like understand? an audience. Like a bigger audience there of millions of people. So I'm playing catch up with that now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm really curious, um, your, the, the thing that you teach, I know that this works as well in other formats, um, videos, podcasts. Sure. Yeah. Um, what are the differences that you think that will make it a little bit on the on on edge or give you more advantage? So let's say you're a trained public speaker or you know you do this a lot. What is the difference between presenting on video and presenting on stage? Not a lot, um, but the most if it's, if I pick one thing, mm-hmm. the most important thing is to be conversational. Mm-hmm. Make the other person experience the feeling like you're just speaking to them. The mistake when on video is thinking about the millions you hope will watch it. (laughs) And if you speak as if you're speaking to an audience of millions, you'll lose the feeling of intimacy. Mm. And that, but that is true when you're speaking to an audience of a thousand people in a room as well. You want made people to think, wow, felt like the whole time he was just speaking to me. She was just speaking to me. Yeah. Because you need to have that way where your focus is the client. Your focus is by using the word you. Mm. So you speak in a personal way to people. You take the risk of speaking to them personally, not speaking generically. Don't use the words like, you know, when people do this, mm. no, you say, when you do this. You do this. So we, we try to make it personal, make them own the content. Look down that camera lens and make them feel that they're the most important person in the world. In that moment. So they really connect to your message. Like you're there in the room, even though you're actually not there. Yeah. To them, it feels like you are there. It's because so they're, they're watching you at that close quarters. They're looking at their screen on their phone, wherever yeah. they are. They've ignored the outside environment of the train or wherever they are, the plane. And you're looking right, they're looking right down at you and your eyes are connecting right down to them through that camera. Reach out through that camera, grab them, shake them a bit and say, come on, you can do better. <laughs> Wake yourself up, you can do this. And also there's one phrase... Um, that somehow I got a negative connotation on this phrase. Um, motivational speakers always use this phrase. I don't know about you, but all I know is this. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I hear that uh, phrase, it can be a little bit cringe-worthy because it feels like there's an empty, I, I don't, what do you call this, like a pre, pre-framing behind it. And sometimes it can come off as ingenuine. What, what are your thoughts about that? Well, sometimes those words are just link phrases. They're simply words that speakers might use to navigate from one type of content to another, like a segue or a bridge between content. Mm-hmm. So I don't think... I, the challenge sometimes, and maybe this is what you mean, is that occasionally people can become a bit stereotypical mm. with their content yeah. and use phrases that are worn out and used um, too often perhaps. And perhaps that's what you mean. Yes, sir. But let me ask you, let me switch the, the thing around. 
So tell me again. So what is it? What is it that it draws up in you when they say that? Um, well, what do you mean? Then? You said I don't know about you. Mm-hmm. Um, but all but, I know is this. But all I know is this, right? So yes. what does that bring up in you? Um, sometimes I feel like when I I'm hearing that um, there's like a false or empty thing behind it. That it's just one way to make a person jump from one point to another point mm. when using that because I know it's very effective mm. um, but when you're hearing it all the time it feels ingenuine and mm. you know so what would you do, in, do instead <laughs> I'll avoid using that perhaps and what would you say or use instead mm. so let me say this sure. right what's interesting about that scenario is that what it brought up in you was a, was a, this feeling of not being genuine. Mm-hmm. That's what you phrase you used. Yes. Now, for you to make that uh, observation, it means that you have some fear inside yourself of not coming across as genuine. Something inside yourself, a wound, if you like, mm-hmm. about people thinking you're not genuine, mm-hmm. or could be somebody else in your life that you admired maybe or some of your life that was important to you let you down somebody important in your life kind of betrayed you in some way weren't what they said they were and what they thought they were does that make sense yes yes, yes. so it means you're carrying that around a little bit and you're projecting that thought onto other people Understood. does that ring bells with you i saw you smile a little bit as we yeah, said yeah, yeah. I'm a little getting a bit emotional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so there's some work to do there. Yes. Because otherwise, because what will happen is you'll keep on projecting that mm-hmm. onto other authority figures. Because this this relates to authority figures for you, yes, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Yeah? Father figure, something like this, or some male figure, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. So you're going to keep on projecting that onto other authority figures, and also what it's going to do, it's going to limit you. Mm-hmm. A, you project on other people, which you know stops you. Um, creating better relationships with authority figures perhaps but also part of that will make you overly concerned about not being authentic and real which means that you might procrastinate or wait or hold off on sharing into space where you don't have authority and wait too long to jump in if that makes sense in the fear that you know like this kind of imposter syndrome kind yeah. of thing going on makes sense yes, yes and that yes. will hold you back it will stop that that will get communicated by the way unconsciously through the videos you produce mm-hmm. which will mean less people will turn up to your events yeah and you won't film as much as you can yeah because you're not projecting that right. abundance that, right. and belief in all human beings and their potential thank you I, I think I, we turned it around this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and also, um, j- just uh, two two more questions. Um, I'm really curious about one thing. What does Andy does when he's not speaking in public? Most of the time, I'm with a family, and I have six children altogether, mm-hmm. um, ranging from ages 21 right the way down to three. Mm. So, you know, with having teenagers at one end yeah. and young kids at the other. That's a big focus of my life uh, is making sure that I'm present enough for those that they have dad. Because, you know, like especially the younger ones, I suppose, more than the older ones, yeah. they need me in a different way. But the young ones, you see, you know, as and, and Raph's off camera here, so I'm, I'm speaking to Raph as well kind of here, <laughs> is that 
the little baby, mm -hmm. the little child you grew up with, they disappear. Mm. You don't, you don't, that love they give you, you know, by coming, getting into your bed and cuddling you and all that stuff, yeah. that goes away. And it's like that little person disappears. Now, of course, they grow into somebody else, but it's never quite the same in that their love transforms and changes. You know, my 21 year old son isn't going to climb into bed with me anymore and give yeah. me a hug. If he did, I'd give him, I'd give him, I'd give him that hug. You yeah. understand? But yeah. it changes the love and how that love, ch it changes in how it's given and exchanged. It mm. grows up, it matures. And that love, that cherub-like love that you have for that little child, yeah, you know, it's, I, I'm now realizing, you know, that over the years, I've got to realize, I realize more and more that that goes away. Mm. This means you cherish it that much more because you don't get it for long. You know, you go, you know in, in the whole scheme of things, that love lasts for seven or eight years maybe right and then it's yeah. like you know dad don't stop kissing me at school dad, you know, <laughs> you're you know, embarrassing me <laughs> exactly exactly right which isn't the case mm. at the earlier times mm -hmm. so that just disappears it goes away and it will never come back it, it, it that that particular love doesn't come back it doesn't come back in another form it does you have to wait a few years though and that is why grand you know why a lot of grandparents really love and dote on their grandchildren yeah because it's a second chance but I've had that second chance see because I've got kids um, of an earlier uh, that are of, of yeah, one, the yeah. first batch yeah. are like 21, 20 and 19 and the second batch are much younger so having already these are almost like my grandkids right yeah. <laughs> they are my kids um, and that's the beauty is I've had children around me now for 20, 21 years mm -hmm. and it's, it's not defined who I am but it defines my mission and what's important to me mm -hmm. um and it, 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 it turned me into a man. You know, like before that, I was just an idiot. <laughs> you know, just a young kid who's an idiot. I had no, no, real, yeah. no real purpose to be more and better than I was. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So I never forget that. And I, I want to treasure those moments as much as possible. So that's who, who I want to spend time with right, as much as possible is the family for those reasons. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I feel flattered. <laughs> and um, so my two questions, uh, where can people find you before we end? Uh... Yeah, many places. So uh, andyharrington.com is mm -hmm. my website. Mm -hmm. um, and you can read all about my different events and products there. Mm -hmm. Amazon, you can get my book, Passion Into Profit. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a Sunday Times. Yep, Sunday Times bestseller. You can get that on, on Amazon. Um, or I run events here in Dubai on a regular basis. We have one tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, and your listeners will probably hear this now, I suspect, after tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but we do run those events on a regular basis through Najahi. Mm -hmm. so they can reach out to Najahi. Mm -hmm. uh, here in Dubai, my promoter, mm -hmm. um, and subscribe to their mailing lists mm -hmm. and then hear about my events that way. That's another way they could do it. I understand. Um, but also YouTube channels and other ones as well. So if you go uh, to YouTube mm -hmm. and type in Andy Harrington, find my channel. Yeah. There's a lot of great content on there with all the vloggy type posts. There's lots of education, entertainment and emotions in there too. Yes, and, and a lot of podcast interviews as well. Sure, indeed. So I, I wanted to acknowledge you for sharing your story with us and you know teaching me personally during this interview and showing what what i, I am more capable of um and reaching my potential and as well to the to our audience that you gave value your information you're sharing a little bit about your personal life as well because most of the time when we look at authority figures we we were really curious what they do they look like in private that's why i ask those questions as well and this podcast is more 
the reason why it's still being continued because people like the rawness of it and the conversational um, flow in in to this podcast. So I just want to say thank you for. Ah, oh, you're very welcome. I, I want people to know that no matter how successful you are or you aren't, you have you will have the same fears, the same doubts as any other human being. Those things never go away. They are part of the human experience. But if you've got goals and missions that are bigger than your problems, mm-hmm. then every single day your life will be joy. Understood. So my last and final question to you, if everything is stripped away from you, your business, your trainings, your speaking engagement, everything, promoters, everything is stripped away from you, what would be your main drive to succeed? Listen, people think that wealth money is the most important thing people think that wealth is wealth is normally measured by what people call your extrinsic value Mm -hmm. that is your external wealth looking things money is extrinsic wealth but real wealth isn't measured by your extrinsic value Mm -hmm. real wealth is measured by your intrinsic value Mm -hmm. intrinsic means inside value Extrinsic outside, intrinsic inside. Like values. So your inner, your inner value inside. Mm-hmm. So the question is, what is your inner value? Because you can't lose that. You can lose your money. Mm-hmm. You can lose your business. Mm-hmm. You can lose all your relationships. But the thing you cannot lose, unless you choose to, is your intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. And your intrinsic value is measured by one thing. How much are you worth to other people if money didn't exist? If all money was stripped away, how valuable are you still? Meaning, is there something about you that other people want to get close to? Have you got something about you that other people need? Mm-hmm. Whether that's your level of empathy, whether it's your ability in a particular area, your level of caring. Mm-hmm. Are you still valuable? Do other people still want to be around you mm-hmm. because they feel better or get better by being around you? You can lose all of that you can lose all your money, everything else, but if you don't lose your intrinsic value, you'll always be wealthy. Honestly. So I think that's it for today. Thank you so much, Andy, and see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Cheers. Once again, if you wanted to show your support to us, please feel free to take a screenshot of this episode and share it with your friends, family, and loved ones. And tag me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Francisco underscore or simply tag us at the Drive to Succeed underscore podcast. And also we have an ongoing mailing list that you can find on the same website. And once again, thank you so much for your support. This podcast wouldn't exist without you. And I promise to you to bring more valuable guests in future episodes. So thank you so much. See you in the next episode. Thanks again for joining us at the Drive to Succeed podcast. If you're enjoying learning from this podcast, you can show your support by sharing and rating this on iTunes or Stitcher and sharing it with your friends on social media and tag us on Instagram at the drive to succeed underscore podcast. Thank you once again for joining us. See you in the next episode.